Hey church, Jason Miller here. This is the latest teaching episode on the podcast feed for South Bend City Church. Uh, before you hear the teaching, as we wrap up these last few weeks on the Sermon on the Mount before Easter, you'll also hear the gathering update that we offered on Sunday to the church about how things are going as we pursue financial commitments for the Tribune Project. Uh, if you're not aware, this is us rallying together as a community, uh, local, long-distance, in-person, digital, to acquire and transform the printing press building of the South Bend Tribune in downtown South Bend. This will be a future home for South Bend City Church and a place for the people of South Bend to feel safe and seen and loved. It'll also be the place where we create the kinds of things that hopefully serve a bunch of you and the digital long-distance family. Uh, check out the update at the beginning of the episode, and to learn more, head to southbendcitychurch.com, where you can see the project and make a commitment. Hey, good morning. Are you warm enough yet? Uh, my name is Jason. Welcome to South Bend City Church. We're honored that you are here. Sometimes we call ourselves a community of believers and doubters and everybody who's a little bit of both. So we really hope that you can feel at home here wherever you land on that spectrum, because I promise wherever you land on that spectrum, you're not alone. And a lot of us uh, have been there too, or we're there right now. Uh, a couple things going on that I'm really excited to like, keep you updated on or bring you in on if you haven't been here in a little while. Uh, we want to give you an update on the building stuff that most of you are aware of and also talk about some other stuff going around as we move toward Easter. So let's talk about the building stuff. Uh, hopefully you're aware now that we are like hot in pursuit of the purchase and renovation of this building downtown. Uh, this is the uh, room that will eventually become our new gathering area at the Tribune Printing Press building. And uh, just as a reminder, here's what it looks like when we get our hands on it and transform it. And uh, like this particular few weeks that we are in right now is the financial phase of the project. And I promise nobody around here wants to like turn into a church that talks about the money like every week forever, uh, which is why we're just focusing on it briefly for this, this short period of time here while we try to accomplish the financial phase of the project. And so we gave the big pitch last week. If you missed it, you can catch the podcast. Uh, we also put out a little 10-minute film that gives you everything you need in about 10 minutes, and you can find it on our Facebook and our Instagram and our YouTube page. So that's all out there. Hopefully, you've taken advantage of that. But if not, I want to make sure you know that that's where you can get like, all the details. Uh, you can also get a, a bigger picture of the whole project just by heading up to the mezzanine upstairs. We've got uh, the plans, the, the floor plans, the fly-through video, and our team will be up there after, at least some of us, I'll be up there after the gathering if you want to talk a little more about the project. Um, but I wanted to like, keep in front of us just for a few weeks here while we do the other stuff like the Sermon on the Mount uh, and, and make our way toward Holy Week and Easter. I want to keep in front of us the financial challenge that's in front of us so that we can do our part, right? So let me just remind you, like, here's the detail on what we're doing right now. Uh, we are discerning together the commitments that we're going to make for two years of giving that's going to make it possible for us to buy and transform that building. It's two years that kicks off. Uh, I mean, you can actually start giving right now, but technically, like, the two-year window starts this Easter, and it'll go until April of 2024. And the question is, like, what do we want to give above and beyond our regular general fund giving, right? So for some of us, we already give on a regular basis to the regular budget that pays the regular bills for our community. And it takes care of kids' ministry resources and staffing and the rent that we pay here right now, right? So this is about what we want to do above and beyond the money that makes the, the regular life possible. Uh, it's about taking a look at our budget and our calendar and doing some praying and discerning and asking like, if we feel called, compelled, stirred up to make a commitment to this project. And then you go online and you make your commitment between now and April 10th. Uh, hopefully you've also noticed that our website has a brand new front page with all the details on the project. And right there on the front page is where you can make your commitment. And you can do that anytime. 
so that's, uh, that's just kind of keeping the details right in front of us. Uh, but I also wanted to um, take a minute to hear from some other voices these next few weeks. So it's not just kind of me driving this because this is a communal project. It's been communally discerned through many voices and long periods of listening through the fall and the spring here. And that continues to be the case as we move into the financial commitment stuff. And so I thought to get that started, to hear from another voice in our community, who better to hear from than, than somebody who actually is a, a scholarly academic expert in philanthropy and nonprofits, who many of you know, uh, Dr. Angela Logan. Why don't you welcome Angela? I'm gonna call you Dr. Logan for this one because you're up here in doctor mode. Is that okay with you? Switch hat has been switched. Good. And we are now Dr. Logan. You have been warned. I've been called Dr. Logan. I'm going into professor mode. Audience participation is required. Continue. That's good. Y'all getting graded. Um, here, here's the first question, Angela. You have heard me say in my moments of honesty, not my vision casting moments, but just my self-disclosing moments, that it, it can, on my worst days, feel like a project like this, like a financial project to buy and renovate, can feel like a necessary evil. And you cringe when you hear me say that. Why? So this is the audience participation part, you included. Okay. How many of us have ever taken a friend out to dinner? Raise your hands. How many of us have ever bought a gift for a kiddo? Now, did that money come from your evil part of your bank account <laughs> or your good part of your bank account? Good, yeah, good. Okay, yeah, yeah. now, same scenario. How many of us, that friend that we took out to dinner, we have never spoken to, uh, we have not spoken to them since then? Mm -hmm. How many of us that bought the gift for the kiddo that was sweet and cuddly and cute that kiddo became an angsty teenager. Mm -hmm. Did the money? Did we think back and recategorize that gift and put it into the evil category because the tween the baby became a teenager? No. No. So why then would we think about money related to the church to be evil or good? Money is money. The U.S. Mint does not have a special good category of money, an evil category of money. It's just money. It's how we attribute our emotions to that where it gets messed up. And just because we had a bad relationship in a faith community related to money does not make that money evil. It just is. That's really good. Um, so you're not only an actual like, scholar and researcher on philanthropy, you also direct a master's program in nonprofit administration. So you live in nonprofit and philanthropy world. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about um, some of the good that can come in a community from a project like this. And I don't just mean the fact that we'll have a new home, because we do need a home. Like we're going to be homeless next summer and we would like to have a home. But beyond that, um, again, it's easy to kind of like focus on some of the stories of pain around these kinds of projects. But you have this research angle on what happens in churches when they tackle stuff like this financially. What, are, like, what do we miss if we just see the kind of negative side of that? It's funny that, you, that we're having this conversation today because Facebook is another one, good or evil, it just is. A Facebook memory popped up yesterday where you literally five years ago talked about how we were going to be moving into this space that used to be the old Studebaker complex and we didn't know what it was like but we were doing a challenge to try and raise $120,000. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. $120,000. By the way, the, 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 the giving goal here is $3 million for the front end of the project. And yet, we all chuckle when we think about we had a goal about 120,000, and how many of us were angst? How many of us who were still who were around in the early days remember the angst that we felt about the 120? Yeah. How many of us have angst about the three million? <laughs> but how many of us are giddy about the possibilities mm. of the three million? Mm. Last week when we, you introduced it and I was going around passing around pens, when we put up where we were in the quiet phase, I squealed. Mm. Because that means that this community believes in and is invested in a project that is mind blowing. I well, often real quick, you mean when you say where we are in the quiet phase, last mm. week we let people know mm. about early commitments. Early That's commitments. What, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Sorry, I, I wanted to. I, want, I told you I was going in faculty mode. Yeah, yeah. When we think about where we were five years ago and where we are now, how much we have grown on that simple kind of $120,000 investment. So in my mind's eye, I think about if we went from that to this at $120,000, my God, what can we do with $3 million? That's awesome. Yeah, um, uh, here's a personal question for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you've already made your commitment to the project. I did. Would you be um, willing to share a little bit about what it was like for you to discern that? Like, take us through your own process a little bit. Absolutely. So when we talked about it, six, when it first came up six months ago, I was giddy, I was excited, and I said I had a number in my head. And I was like, okay, this is the number we're going to do, and it's great. And then I thought for a minute, and I was like, Sis, you give that much on a monthly basis. And it was going to be that one-time gift. I was like, let's reassess some things, Angela, because I had to think about where I am in my life versus where I was five years ago. So five years ago, my financial situation looked a little different than it does now. I've grown, I've evolved, and so I took some time and I prayed and I prayed, and I cried, and I prayed, and I fasted in a little bit of prayer, and then I pulled out my bank account and my calendar. And I thought, what makes the most sense, but also, which is a little bit of a stretch goal. We often talk about it's not equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. And so for some people, the sacrifice is a dollar a week. That is $52 that you don't think you can give up and that's okay. For some of us in this community, we can give um, $3 million today. I'm just gonna say that right now in Jesus' name, amen. And so for those of you, and that $3 million is not a stretch, so maybe you can write that check for four, and if you do, we'll talk after church. But whatever it is, it's going to push you, and that's okay. One of the things my mom, after, if you've been around me longer than 30 seconds, you know that I have Angela-isms, Richard-isms, and Terry-isms. Terry, Richard-isms are things my father says. Terry-isms are things that my mother said. One of the things my mother always said was, you can't receive with a closed hand. No matter how much you try, I cannot put anything into a closed hand. And so in order to receive, you have to be open. And you have to put yourself in a position to be open. And so for me, that was, okay, 
let's be in a position to be open and be able to receive and to give. That's awesome. You guys thankful for Dr. Logan today? Yeah, thanks, Angela. I really appreciate the perspective. Just a little more on the Tribune stuff before we move on, and we'll get, we'll get through it, I promise. Um, a couple of stories of commitments that I thought are helpful because they, they illustrate a couple of things. So uh, one family that I'm aware of here in the community who's made their commitment to the project, uh, they recently paid off their house. And I don't know about you, uh, I can imagine myself uh, like counting down the days to the end of that mortgage payment and getting really excited about crossing that line. And this family, what they've decided to do essentially is just kind of like defer that uh, for a couple of years. And so instead of making a mortgage payment to the bank, now they're going to pay a mortgage payment for our church. Not the full church mortgage payment, but they're going to they're gonna take that same payment every month. And that's how they came to a capacity commitment for what they could give on the project. Um, I love that because it's, it's a little different than just um, thinking about your kind of everyday spending. And uh, there's a sacrifice there and kind of waiting a couple of years for a finish line that I'm sure they were really looking forward to. Another story that really moved me, and this goes back to the fall actually. Uh, this is right after we first announced that we were like exploring this project. Somebody in our church community was on their way out of South Bend. Uh, they were moving out of state and they sold their house. And this is actually the first gift that was given to the project. And I, I wrote a note to them to let them know that. Um, when they sold their house here in South Bend, they tithed on the equity. So they took, you know, the gap between what they sold it for and what they owed, and they gave 10% of that to the project. And they were really excited to help us have a new home together in the future. And the, the reason that really moves me is this person lives um, like hundreds of miles away now. And for all I know, they may never set foot in the new building, but they still wanted to be a part of giving to it, which is why they actually made the first gift of anybody in our church. And I put that in front of us because whether it's our general fund or this project, we also ought to be aware of and grateful for the fact that there are people who like never get to show up in person who give to this stuff and support it. And I don't say that to like push or squeeze or shame, but I think it's actually appropriate for community to understand the generosities and the graces that sustain us. And one of the peculiar generosities that has sustained South and City Church from the beginning is people from very far away who never have the benefit of checking their kids into a kid's room or like being here in person, who also give to both the general fund and a project like this. And I also love that that's a person who uh, found a way to give without looking at like the monthly budget, because not everybody looks at the monthly budget and sees any possibilities there, but there's other ways to be creative about that stuff. Uh, so with stories like that, commitments like that, with the kind of wisdom that Angela shared, uh, here's our progress update uh, today. So as of today, we have 920,780 committed from 34 individuals and families. I think that's worth celebrating as we go, right? Yeah. And we got a couple weeks left, so we'll keep you updated on it, whether it's in gathering or on social media or through the email newsletter. And again, between now and April 10th, if you feel like you're being called or compelled to make a commitment, you can do that online. Uh, cool. Let's move on from that. I want to remind you that Easter is around the corner. Uh, we're very excited about Easter. A couple things that are driving us toward that. One is the baptism discernment process. And so since September, we've been hearing Jesus say from the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, God wants to give God's life to you and live God's life through you. And baptism is for people who want to say yes to that, who want to open their heart to that, to surrender to it. And so on Easter, we're going to like rip out part of the stage and we're going to put a pool here and we're going to celebrate with people who want to use baptism as a way of identifying with that 
that promise and surrendering to it. And so for all of us, we can be looking forward to that and praying toward that weekend. And a few of you have already said, yes, you want to be a part of baptism. And so we're um, thankful for you and celebrating with you. Others are still thinking about it. If you want some help thinking about baptism, a couple things you can do. Uh, there's reflection guides on the tables as you walk out. Those are kind of all around Lent guides. So they include some reflection on the Sermon on the Mount and the Tribune Project stuff, but they also include specifically some reflection on baptism. So there's some questions there that might help you think about it. You can reach out to our team. Uh, Zach and the care team are helping people walk toward baptism. You can sign up uh, on the little clipboard outside if you know that you're ready, or you can go to the website, click through the Tribune Project front page to get to the regular homepage, and you'll see a link there to register for baptism. And uh, we're looking forward to that on Easter. And again, the other thing that's kind of leading us toward that is we are continuing to listen to Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to pick up where we left off and hear the next thing that he has to say to us. Uh, our teacher today, I'm very excited that we get to hear from her. If you've been around for a little while, you know and trust her. Uh, she's been a voice of wisdom and insight for our community for a while now. I'm also excited. She's one of the uh, voices that we're going to hear from a few times when I'm away on sabbatical this summer. And so I think uh, if you're not already excited about that, by the time today's done, you're going to be really grateful that she's going to be teaching us while I'm gone. So please welcome uh, Beth Grable. Give her a big warm welcome. Thanks, Jay. Hey guys, good morning. It is really good to be with you this morning because for one hot second this week, I actually thought I wasn't going to make it this morning. And that's because on Friday, I was flying home from uh, uh, visiting a client in Seattle. And I flew from Seattle to Minneapolis into South Bend. And we're about to land in Minneapolis and I'm flying on this brand new 757. I'm a little bit of an airplane geek, and so I like pay attention to those things. And we are about 100 feet off the ground, like I can see things out the windows, and all of a sudden, our pilot pulls up fast and hard, and there's like no explanation, and I can actually hear the landing gear go back up into the plane, and we don't just like pull up a little bit, we like shoot back up into the clouds. And there's like nothing on the intercom. And um, it was probably a good five minutes, but in that time period, it felt like, I don't know, 10, maybe 30. Um, so I, I actually quick flipped on my phone, because I was we were close enough to the ground when it first happened that I thought, maybe I can get a text message out. And I texted my husband. I was like, something feels weird with our flight. We pulled up hard. I love you. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me feel a little, gets me this morning. So then I flipped off my phone. And um, thank goodness the week before I had practiced, done some grounding practices with my therapist. And so I like start tapping, you know? Because <laughs> I'm literally, the two thoughts running through my mind are, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get to say goodbye to my family. And Jay's going to have to teach on Sunday. <laughs> Jay's going to have to teach. <laughs> so I am really glad to be here with you this morning. Um, speaking of Jay teaching, when he first told me that we were going to talk through the Sermon on the Mount and just how long we were going to take to talk through the Sermon on the Mount, I thought, are you kidding me? There's going to be like three of us left, <laughs> right? But what's been happening, because this has been months, for those of you who have just joined us, this has been months that we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but what's actually happened is that there's this like collective anticipation and this building and we're almost there. After today, we just have eight more verses to go. We're almost at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that um, there's a lot of hope and anticipation. And look, we can go read the story, right? You can go home today, you can read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You know what it says? 
Um, but there's something about experiencing this idea of the kingdom of heaven and God living God's life in us and through us together that resonates with us as a community and keeps us showing up in community during these weekend gatherings. So this morning we're in Matthew 7, and um, Jesus is speaking to his first century Jewish audience, right? The disciples and other people around him who are listening in. And Jesus is calling, is actually judging. We're in like what's called the judgmental section of chapter 7. And Jesus is calling out and judging the people who are being judgmental. And he actually has some pretty sharp words for them, for the religious teachers of the day, who are the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we pick up here in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, where we read, Beware of false prophets, this is Jesus, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And I have a feeling that after Jesus said those words, it was like you could hear a pin drop, right? Because what he said was actually like really pointed and really weighted. But this is not the only time this first century Jewish audience heard these ideas of false prophets and bearing fruit. Um, Out of 66 books of the Bible, 13 of those books actually talk about false prophets, give a warning for false prophets. That's like, that's 20% of the Bible, right? And then when we talk about bearing fruit, 15 books of the Bible talk about bearing fruit. So this is not the first time this audience is hearing this warning about false prophets and this idea of bearing good fruit or bearing bad fruit. Now, I'm a consultant and a storyteller in my everyday life, which means I help other people tell their stories. I'm not always walking around telling stories myself. Um, But in the work that I do, I really love to follow a few consultants and storytellers who are doing similar kind of work. And one of those storytellers named Carmine Gallo, he says, every time someone gets up to, to teach or speak or preach, the audience is asking themselves one question. One question, oops. (laughs) I was actually gonna ask you what you thought that question was. But here it is. That question is, why should I care, right? Like, why should you all care what I have to say today? And I think it's really helpful for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and imagine them sitting around like we're doing this morning, listening to Jesus and thinking like, why should we care about what Jesus has to say? Why should the disciples care what Jesus has to say? Well, the disciples care about what Jesus has to say because they are living in a day and age when they're following Jesus, who shows up as a Jewish prophet. But there are a lot of other people in their communities showing up, proclaiming things in Jesus' name, um, teaching things, performing miracles. Up close, it looks like they're bearing a lot of really good fruit but then their, their actions take a twisted turn, and maybe they're not always bearing good fruit. 
And so I think the disciples care about what Jesus has to say because they have some really big questions, right? They have big questions of their day. And what I love about this passage is, is Jesus doesn't just give them a warning about false prophets. He actually gives them a way to discern that warning, right? So the warning looks like this or sounds like this. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. And then Jesus gives them this way of discernment. And when I, mean, when I say discernment, I simply mean like a way to judge well. He gives them this way of discernment and this way of wisdom where he says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So this warning is watch out for false prophets and teachers, and this way of discernment and this way of wisdom is you will know them by their fruit, meaning you will know them by their actions. Jesus is essentially saying, don't pay attention to what they preach. Pay attention to what they practice. Later on, collectively in the, in the Gospels, um, the Apostle Paul summarizes what Jesus means by good fruit. And this is talked about a lot, but in Galatians 5, um, we see the Apostle Paul summarize what Jesus means by good fruit when he says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, right? Good fruit is the practice of love. There are actually a lot of theologians who think that um, in this verse that the fruit of the Spirit is love and everything else that shows up here is the descriptor of love, which is a really interesting way to see this verse or this collection of verses. Later on in the New Testament, um, there are more writings about false teachers and false prophets, and this is what some of the writers have to say about them. They are people who care for themselves, follow their own desires, speak arrogantly, and flatter people to gain advantage. And we can read that today and we're like, sound familiar, right? Isn't that our experience today of some people? So Jesus gives this warning, and he gives this way. And then we think, like, we get tripped up and like, well, how do we live out this way, right? How do we live out discernment in our everyday lives? And um, part of being a storyteller is that I'm a synthesizer. And so I um, hear or see what people are saying or writing, and I take that and I synthesize that. And when I step back from these Gospels, I think, like, the way that we follow this discernment that Jesus is giving us here lies in three words, and that's practice, proximity, and patience, right? Practice. The disciples of Jesus were close enough to Jesus to experience what he was practicing, not just what he was sharing in his life, right? What he was practicing. They were also close enough to these other teachers who were perhaps false prophets to know that like what they were saying was different than what they were practicing, that goes with proximity. There's like this closeness, right? The, two, the first two go hand in hand, practice and proximity. 
They could tell who was a false prophet and who wasn't. And if they couldn't, that's where this third word comes in, is patience. If they had a sense like, oh, maybe what this person is preaching or teaching might not be in alignment with what Jesus is saying or might not be true, let's just be patient. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually teaches a parable about this idea of patience. And this is what Jesus has to say. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. And the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. And if not, then you can cut it down. And it's this idea of patience. Sometimes we have to have patience to see is someone bearing good fruit or are they bearing bad fruit? Um, I live just a couple blocks from here in the heart of downtown South Bend, and our previous owner, who also just lives one block away from us, which is so lovely, they planted some fruit trees in our yard. And so we have some apple trees and something else that hasn't quite bloomed. I'm not quite sure what it is. But I know that every year our apple tree produces good apples. Now, every once in a while, I'll pluck an apple from that tree, and it'll have a bug or a worm in it. But that doesn't mean that that tree is bearing bad fruit. It just means that there's one piece, right? One piece. And we'll know over time if we have patience if a tree is bearing good fruit or if it's bearing bad fruit. So practice proximity and patience. Eventually, the disciples go on to form the early church, which is a legacy that we're participating in this morning. And I think that it's helpful for us to ask, to go back to um, that question, like why should the disciples care? And we want to ask that question here as a church today, like why should we care about what Jesus has to say? Right? We're part of this audience too as we read through Matthew 7. So why should we care what Jesus has to say? And I think it's because we want to be the kind of community that follows Jesus. And we want to be the kind of people that pay attention to, the, to what Jesus practices, not just what Jesus preaches. And if we're being honest, a lot of us have urgent questions when it comes to this whole idea of false prophets and false teachers, right? Some of our questions sound like this. Who do we trust? Who do we listen to? How do we discern who is and who isn't telling us the truth, right? This gets kind of complicated. You know, when I um, think of this word false prophets and false teachers, if I'm being honest, there are a couple people who come to mind, a couple kinds of people. Um, first, I think about world leaders who are leaving a mass of destruction in their wake. I think about pastors and politicians who are um, really powerful and have a lot of pride and very little humility. I mean, there's not a week that goes by lately that you don't hear a story of a pastor or a politician who's um, overused or abused their power, right? Um, and then I think about conspiracy theorists, like people who are spreading um, false truths, people who are spreading lies. 
And then because that gets complex and complicated, my brain wants to take like a sharp right turn and I want to think about funny things. Like I want to think about Airbnb hosts and airline agents. Right? How many of you have booked something on Airbnb or Rent Like a Champion or VRBO and you show up and you like the first thing you do is pull up the pictures because you're like, this does not look like the place I booked online. Right? <laughs> There's a huge disparity between the pictures and your actual experience. Or the airline agent who um, gets on the intercom right before your flight and says, your flight is going to be 20 minutes delayed, you know, we'll board soon. And then they do that like five more times and three hours later, you're finally on the tarmac. Right? Airbnb hosts and airline ticket agents. And um, I just imagine like Dwight Schrute from the office standing up and he's like, false, you know? That's the image that comes to mind. And that's what I want to do because this idea of false teachers gets so complex for us. So complex. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Right? Um, but because we long for certainty in our culture, in our society, we have a tendency as a church when we think about false teachers to do this like dance of us versus them, them versus us. And I think this is something that we need to be really mindful of, right? We think they might be a false prophet or a false teacher because they interpret scripture in a different way or practice their faith in a different way because they watch a particular news network or they vote for particular people. They might be a false prophet or a false teacher if they accept certain kinds of people, but not others. They might be a false prophet or a false teacher if they believe a certain thing about how we should spend our money, spend our time, raise our kids, right? We've gotten a lot of flack about those three things from other faith communities, if we're being honest, for those of us who grew up in the church. And so we want a us versus them like, we want to say, we're in, and they're the false prophets. They're out there. Now, I will say, quick side note, sometimes an us versus them is actually a really healthy boundary and a helpful protection when it comes to the protection of people, the safety and protection of the dignity and humanity of people. And sometimes the us versus them is a healthy boundary when it comes to living out the truth of the gospel, which we believe is love. Right? The love, the divine love of God. But this is something we need to be mindful of. And what I love about Jesus' teaching is his challenges, they're always communal and they're always individual. And so we come back to this question of like, why should we care? And guys, I think we need to ask like, why should I care about what Jesus has to say? Why should I care? If we were sitting in the audience as Jesus gave this warning and this way of wisdom, I have a sense that we might be um, starting to feel a little bit challenged because Jesus doesn't just us versus them, right? Like he doesn't just say, watch out for false prophets, they're out there. He says, watch out for false teachers and prophets and you will know them by their fruit. Like whether they bear good fruit or bad fruit. And I imagine the disciples sitting there thinking about all the bad fruit that they've um, been bearing in their lives, right? Not all of us bear good fruit all the time. And so I think this was Jesus' challenge, not only to those people out there, it definitely was, 
He was speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, but he was also speaking to those closest to him, and he's speaking to us. What kind of fruit have we been bearing in our lives lately? Are we bearing fruit in the name of love, in the name of Jesus? To bear fruit in the name of love, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven that we've been talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Theologian Cynthia Bourgeau says, "Jesus Jesus reframes the kingdom of heaven from something we think we get into after we die to something within us. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is within you and at hand. You don't die into the kingdom of heaven, you awaken into it, right? That is good. You don't die into the kingdom of heaven, you awaken into it. And this is the point of the Sermon on the Mount, for us to awaken into the idea that the kingdom of heaven is God's life lived in us. It's a life of love. And so yes, there is a warning and there is a way of discernment And when we get tripped up in our minds and we wonder, like, how do we follow this way of warning, or I'm sorry, this way of discernment, this way of wisdom, we can come back to those three words. Practice, proximity, and patience. Right? The practice of love is how we tell the difference between someone who's bearing good fruit and bad fruit. The practice of love is how we tell the difference between a false teacher and someone who's sharing truth. Now, it's not always just the practice, but sometimes it requires proximity. Are we close enough to someone to tell that they're bearing good fruit by their practices? Or are we making judgments by hearsay or through our screens, right? We do a lot of that these days, make judgments through our screens. So it's not just practice, but it's proximity. And then it's also patience. Uh, Back to proximity, last week as I was starting to work on a few sermon notes, um, I had my phone on silent, but I didn't have it on do not disturb, and I like am getting into the nitty gritty of um, sermon notes, and all of a sudden my phone just starts blowing up, you know, it's like buzzing up a storm. And so I think like, you know, we've got kids, and they're all over the place, and they're doing all sorts of crazy things, and so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, something must be going on with one of our kids. Well, here, someone had hacked into my Facebook account and sent everyone, many of you, messages requesting money for all sorts of things, like uh, church fund. Yeah, this is the crazy part. It was like things I'm involved in, you know? So it was like there were some people on the fringe who maybe didn't have as much proximity to me who um, later reached out to be like, I was wondering, you know, because it was like uh, money for church funds, money for nonprofit development funds, Um, some strange, hey, how are you kind of messages. But because of proximity, because of the proximity of this community, so many of you reached out to be like, hey, Beth, I think you got hacked. This doesn't sound like you, right? Because you knew that that's not the kind of fruit I'm bearing in my life. And you also knew if that's the kind of fruit I am bearing, you're going to check in with me, but then you're going to call me out on it. And I love that. I love that about our community. And then patience. Right? Do we have the patience to see the whole picture of a person? And that can go either way. 
right? Do we have the patience to see the whole picture of a person, um, someone who might bear some bad fruit, but over time, you guys, that bad fruit was, they were just a few bad apples on a really good tree. Or maybe over time, we realize like, okay, there was some good fruit, but then once the um, sheep's clothing comes off, we realize like, oh, maybe this tree actually isn't a good tree. If we're going to mark our lives as followers of Jesus, and if we're going to awaken into this idea of the kingdom of heaven and allow God to live God's life in us and through us, then I think these are some really helpful things for us to think about as individuals. And so in just a minute, we're going to move into a time of reflection as we think about these three Ps, uh, practice, proximity, and patience. And so I want you just to um, get into a comfortable posture. It can be a prayer posture, whatever that is for you. Um, You can close your eyes. You can put your feet on the floor. You can um, put your hands in your lap, whatever it is that helps you feel grounded in this moment. and if prayer, a prayerful posture, if that's not a word for you or those aren't words for you, that's okay. Find a meditative posture. And we're just going to think about what kind of fruit have we been bearing in our lives? How do we interpret, how do we care about this warning and this way of discernment that Jesus gives us? Because we have real questions, right? We have real questions about how to discern the truth and about how to determine whether or not someone is a false teacher or a prophet by what they practice, not just by what they preach. And so first, let's just meditate on this idea of practice. And let's ask ourselves honestly, what do the recent practices of my everyday life say about me? Who am I listening to? Are my actions pointing to this notion of the truth of God living God's life within me? Or am I leading people away from love and wisdom in my arrogance, in my power, in my pride? And then let's move into this idea of proximity. What do those closest to me say about the fruit that I'm bearing in my life right now? The people who know me well. What do they say about my fruit? Is it good fruit? Is it bad fruit? What do they say?
also as we think about proximity, I want us to think about like, what kind of fruit are we bearing as a collective community here at South Bend City Church? What do people in South Bend have to say about us as a community? Are we bearing the love of Jesus in our community? And then let's think about this third word, this word of patience. Can I have patience with myself and with others around me? Can I have patience to pause and discern whether someone is telling the truth or not, whether they're bearing good fruit or bad fruit? Can I have patience with myself to bear good fruit even when I've been known to bear bad fruit? And if I'm not bearing good fruit from a good tree, do I have the courage to start over and plant new seeds of truth, new seeds that reflect the love of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven? Jesus gives us the warning and he says watch out for false teachers and false prophets and then Jesus gives us this way of discerning that warning with practice and proximity and patience this is what it means to awaken into the kingdom of heaven and to live God's life in us and through us Will you stand to your feet if you're able? We're actually going to close out our time this morning with a prayer. And again, you can close your eyes um, if you want. You can keep them open. And we're just going to take a moment to reflect before we, before we head out. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus and for the kingdom of heaven as something that we get to awaken into. God, thank you that your love is the ultimate practice of what it means for us to bear good fruit in the world. So may we be wise and discerning as a community and as individuals about teachers and prophets who make their best attempt to lead us away from love and may we be wise and discerning about our propensity to do so in big and small ways as well. May we live and practice the life of love described by the Apostle Paul when he wrote, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable and it keeps no records of being wronged. 
Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So may we remember as we go here from day that from here today that this is what it means to bear good fruit in the world. Amen. May grace and peace be with you. Have a good day, guys.